This show includes adult conversations around sometimes sensitive topics. Check the show notes at cxmhpodcast.com for trigger warnings. You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Oh, man. All right. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Moore. I'm one of your co-hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing today? Hey Robert, I'm doing. I'm doing pretty okay. I know we're just giggling because there's. I was not expecting you to hit the recording right then and there, and just opened up the browser to see that you had hit record. So that was fun. Yeah, but you know, no, just go for yeah, it. Yeah, just keep me on my toes. That's good. Um, yeah. No, we're we're doing okay. We've got you know a number of things that we've kind of been juggling in the the Ox Handler home the last couple of weeks, but um, yeah. But it's been, you know, it's been okay. How are, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, I think. I mean, we, so it's been two weeks, right? Kind yeah. of, as you referenced there, since we have chatted in kind of this format. And uh, over that time span, we've had like an explosion of sickness here in our mm. house, kind of in stages. And so if if I sound a little bit, my voice sounds a little bit in, in, on the sick side, then you'll know why. I don't know if people can ever tell that, but I can definitely tell when I edit. So I always mm. feel like I should just call it out. But you know, it's been it's been a really interesting past couple of weeks. I think actually, I, I was thinking about this earlier that it's been kind of this like weird kind of. I, I think both sides of this type of work that we do, kind yeah. of in advocating for faith and mental health, yeah, have kind of come out right and yeah. And, so on Tuesday of last week, I did this series of workshops at this thing with faith leaders on how to have good conversations around mental health and things like that. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of good questions, a lot of like engagement, and it seemed like people were really interested. And I left that mm-hmm. to see kind of the internet, like kind of our bubble of Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. all ablaze about this article that had come out Yep. Mm-hmm. from, uh, was it the Washington Post? Uh, uh yeah, no, it was the Wall Street Journal. It was the Wall Street, Wall Street Journal. Journal. Something yeah. with a W. Yeah. About a pastor who had been fired for essentially having a mental health diagnosis, right? Like kind of mm-hmm. all all kind of the flip side of it. And so that was like kind of this jarring like dichotomy of, hey, both these things are are happening at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and then a couple of days later, you know, I got an email from a pastor who kind of was encouraging, who I've never met, saying, "Hey, he, him, and his whole like community really supports him in having diagnoses and things." And so it's just been this interesting, like both sides of this kind of world that we live in, kind of rearing their heads. Yeah, I uh, totally. I'm just. I'm totally with you on this, and even you just bringing up. The Wall Street Journal um, article, it just bubbles up my stomach like with this knot um, because one of the things, you know, our listeners may know that that my family and I, we live in Waco, um, but the one of the pastors that was uh, interviewed in the article was our pastor for four years. And so um, mm. our family walked through uh, that experience as congregation members in watching 
everything unfold and struggling with, you know, what is going on and there not being a ton of transparency in in terms of what was happening. And we don't we we no longer go to that uh, that that same congregation, but um, but it was. I mean, my husband, so Corey had told me about it coming out and uh, Brady's wife, Becca, posting about it. And um, and it was like as soon as um, I Googled it and just saw it, it just it felt like a gut punch. Um, yeah. And like my heart was ripped out all over again just because of the vulnerability that – you know, that he and his family were in the space of vulnerability that they were in and just all that unfolded. So, so that, I mean, that article was, it, it's, it is, it, it's really uh, important for us in this area of the intersection of faith and mental health to be hearing these types of stories and for them to be able to um, be able to be shared and, and for us to know about them. Um, and at the same time, like, I, I just, I can't shy away from like how personal it was also, um, yeah. having walked through that journey as a congregation member. So, yeah. yeah. So it's been, yeah, that's been an interesting piece to the last couple of weeks for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's been really interesting to kind of navigate this week and there's been a lot of good too, you know, that's also been sprinkled. So it's, it's been one of those little couple of weeks where as much as possible, I'm trying to hold space for the emotions. I'm trying to hold space for the experiences and just things that are happening and just being present to them through them as best I can, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Have you gotten any more used to, because I know the first couple episodes we talked about this research leave and trying to, you know, have, adjust to a kind of completely different schedule. Have you uh, settled in, gotten a little more used to, you know, the time that you have? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> I have. <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, I think that's been one of the other things too, probably in these last couple of weeks. It it's been interesting to be in this space of like having some, a little less structure. I still have some meetings kind of sprinkled here and there, but it is, I will say as someone who most identifies with type two, it is very odd um, for me to be (laughs) in a space where I am, I don't, I don't have these outlets of being needed as often as I did before being on leave. And that's one of the things Mm. I think that I'm, um, that I'm just becoming a little bit more aware of. And it's, again, it's not bad. It's just learning how to sit with that and to recognize it and to be with it and say, okay, well, I'm going to be with this time. And even if it's, you know, just in that space of solitude and not being needed, like it is totally okay. But just trying to pay attention to the emotions and the sensations and the thoughts that kind of come along with that have, has been interesting. So yeah. Yeah, being busy is very easy for me and being needed and helping people <laughs> is very easy for me. So it is it is yeah. a shift to be in this space of solitude. Um, but it is also a gift because the ability to stay focused and work on some of the writing that I'm doing right now has just been, man, it has been so good too. Um, yeah. yeah. So Anyways, what about you? I know we talked a little bit about your schedule too last time and just kind of finding the rhythm and, you know, just figuring things out and how you spend your schedule and time. 
Has that changed at all since our last chat? Yeah, I think in the in the past couple of weeks, like I mentioned, there was kind of a bunch of different sickness. And so that obviously throws it off a little, you know, uh, do I wake up early to write or do I sleep in to try and help kind of recoup, mm. things like that. And then I've had a couple kind of out of the ordinary things, uh, a training that I went to that took up like one whole day and then this whole day of doing uh, these workshops and things like that. And so mm. I think it hasn't, uh, I'm preparing for those, right? I mean, took up yeah. some of the more like, um, some of the unstructured time. And so I still don't have like a, you know, I'm in like this good kind of consistent rhythm, but maybe that's okay. Maybe it's, yeah. you know, whatever I need to be doing at those various times is totally fine. And, you know, there's not a set deadline to uh, some of the, some things that I'm doing and some things there are. And so those often shift to the front as deadlines get closer. And so, yeah. so I've, I've been like kind of alternatingly productive and, needing the rest so that then I could end up being productive again yeah. uh, from from sickness. And so, yeah. uh, you know, just kind of depends on the amount of spoons that day. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well. I forgot the, the spoons analogy. Thought. Oh man. Yeah. Sickness takes up, t- sickness has been taking up a lot of my spoons. So. Oh my gosh. I, we get, I don't remember what episode that was that we brought, like that that came up, but yeah, that is, oh God, I love that analogy. So good. Yeah. We'll so pass a link in the show notes in case someone's like, what are you talking what? about? What? Spoons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, should we, do you want to shift to this week's episode? Yeah, absolutely. I know that you have the notes pulled up, so why don't you tell me a little <laughs> bit about it? Yeah. So this, I didn't pull them up. No, so. no, no, no. That's okay. So this week we have Dr. Jesse Fox on the show and he has come on. Well, first of all, he's an assistant professor at Stetson University. Um, But he has come on to talk with us about spiritual bypassing. He talks about this in light of a number of different areas of our lives. But then, you know, how does this tie in with mental health? How does this tie in with, you know, our faith communities and and practices? And um, just like, why do we need to be paying attention to what spiritual bypassing is? So he's working on a book right now tied to this topic, which is really exciting, but that will not be coming out for a little while. But anyways, yeah, we just, it was so fun to get to catch up with him. You know, he and I connected a little bit in this area of research on uh, spiritual competencies in mental health treatment. And um, yeah, it's just so fun to have him on the show and to get to talk about this work that he's so passionate about. So yeah, yeah. I think just having this language of spiritual bypassing, right, which some people are going to say, I'm not familiar with that term. Right. But I think as soon as he describes it, right, kind of wrapping spiritual language around things to kind of demean or diminish like the actual pain of a thing, right, like that type of mm-hmm. that type of experience, I think people are going to say, oh, I know what that – I know what you're talking about. And so for me, I really loved kind of getting this, oh, let's wrap some language around this so that it's easier yeah. to talk about – and then we can kind of have those conversations, right? I'm always a fan of like, can we put words to a thing that we're all experiencing or have experienced so yeah. that we can kind of know how to talk about that? And so I think that, you know, his work is really good. Obviously, the way he talks about it is great. And so I'm excited about it. I think it it's beneficial for pretty much anyone, right? I mean, yeah. if, you're, if you're having conversations about the human experiences of pain and things like that and trying to figure out how faith fits into that, this is like mm-hmm. a really important kind of way to be able to avoid talking about it or be aware of and things like that. Yeah, I totally agree. I guess without further ado, here is our episode with Dr. Jesse Fox. 
Hey, welcome back to the show. Today we have Dr. Jesse Fox, who is an assistant professor in the Counselor Education Department at Stetson University, and he's an affiliate instructor of pastoral counseling at Loyola University, Maryland. He has published on topics including spirituality, religion, meditation, centering prayer, spiritual bypass, and counseling, and he's co-authored the book Bridging Religion and Spirituality into Therapy. His clinical experience has crossed sacred and secular contexts, focusing on addictions and spiritual struggles. And Jesse has served as an executive board member for the Association for Spiritual, Ethical, and Religious Values in Counseling. And he also serves as the chair for the Spiritual Competencies Task Force for that society. Um, his upcoming book, Spirituality and Avoiding Difficult Emotions, is what we're going to be focusing on today. So, Dr. Fox, how are you doing today? Good, and thanks for that uh, kind introduction that I wrote for you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> is there is there anything um, that we missed in in your bio there? No, no, that that's that's a good good summary. Thank you. Awesome. Well, you've done a lot of great work in this area, and we're excited to have you on the show. Sure, thank you. Well, today I really want to focus on um, some of the the work that you're doing around spiritual bypass. So we're going to focus our conversation today on that um, and unpacking, you know, what spiritual bypass is and how it's connected to our mental health. Um, but sure. before we dive in into some of the details around that. Do you mind defining what spiritual bypass is and maybe offering some examples of how we might see that emerge? Yeah, that's that's a good place to start. Um, there's a few definitions you might find out there. Um, we developed one that's a little bit more of a kind of scientific operational definition um, because we were looking at developing uh, a measure of spiritual bypass for research and ongoing kind of clinical reflection. But I would say a good way to, or a good shorthand version of that definition is, is spiritual bypass is when someone uses spirituality as a way of avoiding something difficult. Mm. Um, and so uh, spirituality in this context can be represented in many different ways as bypass. And what's really fascinating about kind of delving into this topic over the past several years is seeing how many different contexts, either I've firsthand witnessed it or people either writing about it or who I've had conversations with who've seen it in, in a lot of different ways. Hmm. Um, but in essence, what it, it does seem to keep coming back to is this basic process of uh, avoiding something difficult, and that can be difficult emotions, it can be difficult tasks or responsibilities, it can be difficult memories uh, through some form of spiritual means. And that spiritual means, again, it can take the form of something like, uh, you know, praying excessively, meditating excessively. It can take the form of like a scrupulous almost kind of study of scriptures. It can take the form of uh, platitudes. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that that we've seen this come up in interviews and and discussions with colleagues, etc. So that is one thing that continues to kind of amaze me. Is each time I talk with someone about this, they will kind of bring their own examples uh, from their own experiences hmm. um, and kind of bring it to life 
as we talk. And that's something that's kind of kept this this subject is something uh, both Craig Cashwell and I, who were co-authoring that that book together, but Craig was really the pioneer in this, um, has really just kind of spurred our our continual thinking about this and and thinking about okay, how many ways can this really kind of show up? I guess. Hmm. And I'm I'm so glad that you mentioned platitudes as an example because when I you know Holly mentioned the episode and and I started looking into it and the first thing I thought of was how often you know I hear people either in personal life or in a counseling setting or something say you know well it's it's really hard that this you know terrible thing has happened but God brings joy or something right like in a way that makes it obvious mm, right. or, yeah. or maybe not obvious but it, I think maybe we kind of think, and I know this is one of our questions is kind of how to tell the difference, right? But that could be like a realistic, I know this is hard, but I find hope in this thing. But oftentimes it seems like kind of a throwaway line of, well, then I'll just ignore this and pretend like it doesn't happen because of this kind of generic phrase, you know? Exactly. Yep. Yep. That is, uh, that's certainly one of the most common ways that we've heard uh, people pinpoint it. Absolutely. So things like, uh, when people experience a bereavement and perhaps at the funeral, um, you know, in the, in the kind of greeting line or something, uh, people will, will kind of, will oftentimes resort to those types of platitudes. And on the receiving end, the, the person who's grieving the loss, it, it ultimately doesn't help because um, they experience, they're experiencing the pain and the tragedy. And though certain theological statements like, they're in a better place or they're at peace now. Those may be perfectly valid theological statements, but in a context in which a person is experiencing the other side of that theological uh, spectrum of despair and, and sadness, mm-hmm. it feels the effect ultimately of not being accepted in, in the depths mm-hmm. of their own sadness. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it has a lot of relational implications, yeah. I think you can see from that. Uh, when yeah. when these topics are approached from the standpoint of avoidance, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. And yeah. uh, even right there, you kind of described the individual, like personal, like I am kind of spiritual bypassing, but then also the relational aspect of other people giving me platitudes or whatever, right? Because that, I hear that all the time uh, where, oh, somebody else Mm -hmm. said this thing and it just made me feel worse, right? So uh, is there kind of both of those where like uh, we end up kind of internalizing it and using those on ourselves plus the relational aspect or uh, is one more Mm -hmm. common or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Of course, you know, um, just in that example I was showing about a, a context of bereavement, in, in a way, a person who says that to someone who's grieving is, is really saying it to themselves first, you know, that mm-hmm. I believe they're in a, in a better place. Therefore, I, you know, it will, it, it will keep me at a distance from my own despair of, of now grieving the loss of this person. Mm-hmm. And so platitudes like that certainly originate within the person and when they are shared, um, I think we have to recognize that that person is really talking to themselves mm. <laughs> um, yeah. and not being ready to deal with their own grief oftentimes yeah. um, or the uncertainty um, that things like death present to us. Or, or maybe even the discomfort of being with the other person who has, That's you know, right. who is grieving. Absolutely. And I say, yeah. I don't know what to do Absolutely. with your grief. So maybe I can, you know, say this thing and it will 
fix it in some sense. Or at least make yeah, me feel yeah. better in that moment. Like I did something, yeah. whether or yeah. not it actually was helpful. Yeah. That's right. And sometimes these types of ways of kind of resorting to spiritual sayings, it, sometimes they are really coming from a place of true care, but yeah. they're just not, they're not sophisticated enough to really deal with the problems hmm. uh, that people are going through. Um, so that's obviously why we care about them as people who are trying to counsel and help others go through difficult times. But it is certainly seems to be a way that keeps difficult emotions, difficult realizations, like I said, like the uncertainty of, of certain realities like death, bring into our awareness. And so it, it, it does present in a way as a form of coping in that sense. Um, so and there's lots we could talk about there, of course. Yeah. But, but to get it, I guess, you know, the essence of your question was, you know, at, at its kind of bare structure, it, it has this kind of way of taking spirituality, but using it towards a, an ultimate end of, of getting around something that's difficult to deal with. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. helpful. Well, can you give us an example, though, of, of like healthy spiritual development that might contrast yeah. some of these examples that we've talked about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they, when I was uh, thinking of, of what to share in your podcast, um, you know, there are certain examples in uh, the wisdom traditions about how to approach difficulties uh, that come up in life and particularly in spiritual development. And I was listening to um, some scholars of the of the Hebrew scriptures recently talk about the first chapter of Genesis. And one way to read the first three chapters of Genesis, obviously there's lots of different ways. That's why sacred scriptures are so fascinating. But one way to read uh, the Genesis narrative up through what's called the fall of Genesis 3 is this in this kind of framework of bypassing necessary development. Um, hmm. And these scholars pointed out to me and to their listeners that when God gave the declaration, you know, not to eat of the forbidden fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, God wasn't necessarily saying, I don't want you to have an understanding of what good and evil means. Rather, what God was saying was, I don't want you to shortcut and bypass the, the very necessary development um, that human society needs to go through in order to come to greater wisdom of these realities. Hmm. And when it's presented in that light, it's really fascinating to think about how that can be mapped onto our spiritual development. Hmm. Rather than um, uh, going through life thinking, oh, I have to already reach this state of almost kind of inhuman perfection or enlightenment. Rather, the next step in the journey, um, whatever that might be, uh, whatever the next day presents, hmm. is actually kind of that unfolding spiritual developmental process. Hmm. Um, and so there will be hmm. there will be mistakes along the way that I will make, but ultimately those mistakes will will bring about a greater wisdom in my life. Hmm. And I think there are a lot of different traditions that would agree with that. You know, obviously, all of us have to kind of speak from within in our own tradition. But I think most traditions recognize that 
The process of growing up spiritually means you go through some difficulties along the way. And rather than seeing those difficulties as something to go around, uh, those difficulties are, are meant to be gone through. Hmm. Um, hmm. And in dealing with difficulties that come up, and of course, you know, life presents difficulties every day to sort through. Rather than seeing those as things to get around, why not include them into your spiritual journey and then yeah. see what they teach you? Yeah, oh, I, I love um, that. Does that make yeah. sense? I, yes, absolutely. Okay. It does. Absolutely. I know that it's probably, I mean, it is really tricky navigating the nuance of what it is that you're saying. And, and I, you know, and just how we can all interpret that in different ways. And I think that, but I think that the way that you unpacked it is very, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of uh, ways I think you could take that and apply it. Yeah. You know, it's, it it comes in big and small challenges. Um, you know, obviously we started off with a, a one of the great challenges of of the human journey, and that is mortality. But it can be presented in small ways too. Simply, you know, what's next on your to do list, mm. <laughs> um, and what what needs to to be taken into kind of your own awareness and then dealt with. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's so good. Well, you've um, also talked about how I know in you know in this book that you have coming up, you're you'll be describing how spiritual bypass uh, certainly can serve as a protective function that may be adaptive yeah. in the short term, but inevitably can become problematic as a long term avoidance strategy. So, can you yeah. talk like unpack that a bit and and how and explain how that works? Yeah, we um, this has grown out of both kind of the longer history of how this concept um, was popularized and and studied, and um, this also comes from some of the the research that we've been doing with um, uh, people who have gone through therapy who have have dealt with spiritual bypasses as a part of their therapeutic process as well as clinicians who have worked with clients in the same context. Mm. And one thing that people recognized fairly early on, back in the 1980s and then into the 90s, when this term first started kind of popping up, was one is that it seemed very inevitable. You know, people who are part of a spiritual community seem to be uh, kind of primed for this. And in a way, that's not necessarily, uh, you know, a bad thing. It's very easy for us to kind of look at things very quickly and place a value judgment on them. Uh, and this is certainly one of those areas that, that tends to bring that out um, very quickly. And I, there's, a, I think, a, a whole backstory to that, just in how psychology, spirituality developed, in, particularly in Western contexts. but. Mm-hmm. But what people recognized was that there was a survival kind of part to this. And if you think of when someone is, say, for instance, like a a burn victim, um, and they get checked into the ER, one of the first things that a a doctor would do would be, well, let's get the pain down, right? Mm. And they would administer some form of of an opiate that would help to alleviate the the pain of the burn so that they ultimately they could treat, you know, the wound. Mm -hmm. 
And that wound will take time to heal once the body's natural generative capacities go into effect and recover from the trauma. Well, something very similar, I think, is going on with something like spiritual bypass. Um, we know, you know, um, that spirituality, religion, in, in the Western world at least, took on um, something of a bad rap as being an opium of the, of the masses. It got this kind of reputation in certain circles, not in every circle, but of, of kind of a, a way that people kind of numb themselves out from the difficult things in life. Mm. Um, and that's been, you know, really talked about in a lot of different ways. But obviously, Freud picked up on that. Um, the intellectual history from Marx to Marx's um, mentor, Farbach said similar things about these realities, that they are a way of kind of keeping us from experiencing the harshness of, of life. And so spirituality, just kind of broadly speaking, can sometimes be talked about in that way, that it's something that people use as simply as an avoidance function. Mm. Um, now, Without dealing with that question directly yet, let's go back to, you know, the burn victim in the hospital. Do you think that, you know, that doctor would be practicing good medicine if he said, well, you know, you really just need to face up to the fact that you have a fourth degree burn. (laughs) (laughs) If we give you the opiate, it's just protecting you from the harshness of realizing Mm. that you have a fourth degree burn, you know, over half of your body, you know, so... Of course not. That you know, a good doctor would uh, try to prescribe something to take away the pain in order that the the wound can really be dealt with. And so, mm-hmm. in a way, it it is both. Uh, my perspective is that in a way, both are right. That we can use spirituality as as these ways of avoiding certain things. At the same time, sometimes life presents terrible tragedies and realities that if we were to let the floodgates come in, we would be completely demolished mm. and we would never be mm. able to really deal with life and move forward. Yeah. Now, the tricky thing is, is, is and I, I think people are recognizing this more and more, um, and I teach our addictions class here, we, we talked about this last week, that over-prescription of, of an opiate mm-hmm. um, also not very helpful yes um, in, but it, it's more of a long-term problem right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you decrease pain now certainly that will help but if we don't deal with the source of the trauma the source of the wounds um, they tend to f- uh, fester or they might just become uh, another problem in themselves and that's where we get this kind of addiction to the positive good feelings that spirituality often engenders Mm. Yeah. And so I think there's a very kind of clear connection between those two. So in a way, yes, I, I affirm that, you know, spirituality is certainly used as a way that people avoid certain things. And at the same time, it's a way that people survive. And the real question is, is once they get past surviving, what next? And that's where the the problems of spiritual bypass probably are more salient. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And that's so good. I think that illustration or that like analogy is very helpful 
because the doctor, yeah. as you said, the doctor wouldn't be doing good medicine if he said, well, you know, just deal with your burn, man up or whatever. But also if he said, well, here's just prescriptions and we're not going to do anything about the actual burn, that also wouldn't be helpful. So finding that middle ground of, exactly. of things is, I guess, kind mm-hmm. of the, the trick. And I learned that from um, uh, some of my students because when I was uh, sitting on a dissertation once, uh, the student went over to the Democratic Republic of Congo, did a wonderful study where she interviewed survivors from the civil war, uh, civil wars in uh, the DRC. Um, And these women had experienced just the absolute worst atrocities that human beings can Mm. put on each other, torture, gang rape, you know, genocide of their families. And so she interviewed them about, well, what got you through all of that? You know, and how are you surviving? How are you putting that back together in some way that you can live? And oftentimes um, throughout the course of the interviews, she would hear certain ways that they would engage this that sounded much like bypass. Um, Hmm. However, in the context in which they had gone through these terrible atrocities, for us to sit back in our comfortable Western context and say, well, they're just not facing the reality would be incredibly insensitive, right? So much like, you know, when someone goes through a hospital visit, that now's not the time to really deal with all of the pain that they may have gone through. Hmm. It's after it's after we get stable. It's after we can get some place, uh, get into some place in which we can do some deeper reflection about what our spirituality means now. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. that's good. I love just you pointing out to you with your student. That's a sounds like an amazing study that she had conducted, but. I swear our students sometimes are some of our absolute best teachers. The way oh, that they, yeah. oh my gosh, it's such a gift to get to journey alongside them and the work that they do. So, yep, that's right. Sounds incredible. Well, I, I am curious, you know, you've been really good in articulating some of the ways in which, you know, this may pop up in kind of the Western world. And, um, but I do want to hear a little bit how this could potentially be emerging across faith traditions. Yeah. Yeah. And just how, uh, to what degree you want to unpack that? Yeah, this is, um, this is a really complicated question. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's, it's, uh, it's complicated for good reason, but it's one that we, um, see as kind of like the new frontiers, so to speak, because the basic, you know, definition that I shared with you, that might be something that, you know, not every faith tradition would affirm. And so I acknowledge that, um, you know, outright. Now, what is really interesting, though, is that when this was originally coined, the term spiritual bypass or spiritual bypassing, you'll hear it um, in both ways, is that it was actually first put into print by a Buddhist psychotherapist uh, by the name of John Wellwood. And Hmm. Wellwood noticed in his spiritual community, his Buddhist community, that that people would use certain practices as a way of not dealing with psychological wounds, even ways like uh, uh, meditation that are meant to actually be kind of deep engagements with with the nature of reality. Yeah. Um, And. Within a, you know, of course, Buddhism has different takes on theistic realities, but 
in a fairly non-theistic tradition, this came came through. Hmm. Now, in as I was sharing with you earlier about kind of the Western uh, tradition, when Marx was saying that, he was talking primarily about the Christian church in Europe. Freud obviously uh, was Jewish, but was very familiar with, again, theism and particularly Christian theism um, in Europe. And so what seems to be what might seem to be at first kind of culturally bound um, does actually seem to have different cultural sources to its own kind of tradition, its own way of seeing spirituality. Mm. And so that question really has to be delved into carefully, though, because once you start to delve into these different traditions, there are lots of different blind spots you can bring with you, of course. And so yeah. seeing it in a Western theistic context you know, may may have some um, lack of generalization to non-theistic contexts, but there is some. There does seem to be some very interesting similarities um, in the way that this has been talked about across some of those differences. So that question, in and of itself, we're de- developing a whole chapter on just yeah. that. And so, one way that we wanted to deal with that question of seeing across different traditions is that we are actually throughout the next several months going to be interviewing people from different traditions. And this can also be, you know, of course, it's not particularly accurate to speak of something like Christianity. It's much more accurate to speak of Christianities, because even within each tradition, there will be some different takes on it. And so that is something that we, we've been thinking through very carefully in terms of how to actually cross over into other traditions. Oh, that's so helpful. Um, I know that this is definitely a nuanced area to have to uh, try to unpack and, you know, the complexity of the various faith traditions. And and you're right. You mentioned that, you know, in this book coming up, y'all have an entire chapter devoted to this. So yeah, super grateful for that. And, um, and I think it's a good reminder for our, our listeners, you know, if you're more interested in this and how it emerges across faith traditions, um, to be sure to, to pick up the book. But one thing that we're also, you know, really interested in too. So I, I will note that a lot of our listeners who, um, join in on the show, or who listen to our show, they they tend to be often mental health care providers, uh, faith leaders, and then a mix a mixture of those who love someone with mental health struggles or are uh, are experiencing mental health struggles on their own. So so we're also really interested in thinking about. I mean, I think we've we've talked quite a bit about how this might tie in with mental health treatment, but if you want to unpack more extensively how this ties in with mental health treatment and maybe also how faith leaders might want to pay attention to spiritual by- bypass or be thinking about it. I think that would be really helpful yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, um, the spirit of course of the book itself is, is really tailored toward giving people a, a nice broad framework to be able to approach this topic. Um, but then also to think about, okay, how does that work in light of different theories and in light of different interventions? And obviously this this will get really intricate um, and complex when you start to get down into specific scenarios with people. So what I like to do is I like to kind of give 
kind of a broad framework for people to be able to think through and then kind of fit whatever questions they have within that framework. So the first thing is to, to much the same way that I, I described it earlier is to think about bypass, not just as something um, that is just a defense mechanism, but to think of bypass as a way in which your client is trying to cope the best that they can. Mm. And if you are, if you approach it from that angle, then you can see it not just as something to kind of break through, but something that can actually be invited in. And so one way that uh, my co-author and colleague, uh, Craig Cashwell, who really paved the way in, in being able to uh, talk about this topic and, yeah. and research it, um, is that he, you know, he says that I've started to call it something different. And now instead of calling it a coping mechanism or a defense mechanism, I call it a resource. And beginning with the sense that I, I see this as something that someone's using to cope the best they can with life. Okay, now it has a place. It's a resource rather than something that needs to be kind of erased, so to speak, from their repertoire of coping. Yeah. It's, so it's a lot like, um, you know, walking around on a crutch. Um, and if uh, you tell your client, you know, give me your crutch they will say, absolutely not. So if you go in and say to your client, you know, this just seems to be about you avoiding something. It's a lot like taking that crutch away um, from a person with a broken leg, right? So the idea is is to, to be aware that much of this has to do with trauma. And so when people cannot deal adequately with the trauma in their life, um, there's no way they're they're going to be able to um, embrace different forms of of coping later on. Yeah. So the idea is is to honor the fact that this is something that's a resource for the client, oftentimes, and then once we can get to the place where people are are stable, start to look at how that particular tool has its benefits, but it also might get in the way for people at at times as well. So I'm, I'm thinking of a conversation once that I had um, with someone who was going through a conflict with a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, and that family member uh, had some real difficulties with addiction and they were really starting to mess up big time uh, with uh, their son who I was speaking to as well as the rest of rest of the family system. And uh, that son, just an incredible person, incredibly loyal, a person of deep faith, and he would go to his uh, community and and try to get some help, some source of mm-hmm. continuing to go on in his relationship with with his his mother that was turning very toxic, and it, the unfortunately the community wasn't quite ready to deal with that, and so you know they. They would give kind of empty spiritual advice, oftentimes kind of about forgiveness, but forgiveness not in the sense of dealing with the, the pain and the frustration and the anger, but jumping to a forgiveness that, you know, using, you know, someone like Ev Worthington's uh, model with someone who decided to forgive, but they don't feel any forgiveness, 
Mm. So on the one hand, they might be embracing their tradition to forgive, but forgiving from the heart is also part of that tradition. They would, they were not experiencing that. And so uh, through the course of our conversation, we eventually kind of landed on an insight that he was not experiencing that kind of sense of resolve within his own spirit, his own heart, even though he was doing all the right things that he learned from his community. Hmm. Um, Once we started to see that they're together, once we started to see that there was a mismatch between those two, he started to recognize, wow, I, I really am angry. You know, I really am disappointed with how this person, my mother is, is, has been treating me, has been treating herself. And so that, that was, seemed like a, a turning point in our conversation. Mm-hmm. But it had to be in a place in which he felt safe enough to explore those spiritual dynamics. And that is a big part of this that is often skipped over, I think, in, in discussions, is the client has to know that you accept their spirituality. Yeah. And I, I don't think you can, really, you can really deal with spiritual bypass if there isn't a deep, deep trust that you as a clinician honor it and can also, uh, in a way, celebrate it. Oh, that's good. So. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of moving pieces there, I know, but, you know, coming to kind of a, a w- more of a welcoming place, a bypass is something, not just something that people use as a defense, but as a resource, but then also being able to connect with their spirituality um, and, and welcome it into the conversation. I think once people feel that sense of safety, they're much more likely then to think about okay, is there a different way to approach this problem? Is there more creative ways to approach this problem in my life? Hmm. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. No, that's so good. Well, that's so helpful. Um, just giving some more tangible understanding about spiritual bypass and how those in various ways of helping others can um, pay attention to this. Um, and I also know that you, you know, you outline in the book how spiritual bypass um, intersects a number of clinical issues, which some of these we've already talked about, like bereavement and trauma. But you also talk about how it intersects with shame and addiction and forgiveness. And there were a couple of others that I think might be um, coming out in the book too. So, and you've also provided some great tangible things that, you know, that we can do as helping professionals to um, to be more mindful of spiritual bypass and the role that it has as we're helping others and um, just being very sensitive to that. So um, so I really, at first, I just really want to thank you for your time, your willingness to come on and talk with us about this um, very complex uh, topic and remind our listeners, you know, if you are interested in connecting with Dr. Jesse Fox, um, we're going to have his faculty webpage in our show notes um, and his email will be linked in there as well. You're welcome to reach out to him. Um, If you would like to connect with me, you can find me at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. If you'd like to connect with Robert, you can find him at robert-four.com or on any social media at robert-four. And if you'd like to connect with CXMH, we are on any social media platform at CXMH podcast. 
Thank you so much again for joining us today, Jesse, um, just sharing your wisdom on this complex and tricky topic. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners today? Um, no, I think um, I, I've enjoyed um, getting the opportunity to delve really deeply into this topic. And I think if if your listeners uh, do give it some time and some thought, I think they will see it kind of open up into these different areas, both personally as well as professionally, um, that they can learn from, they can grow from. And so, uh, as I said, I've never walked away from a conversation about this where I haven't kind of come to new insights or been excited about something that someone has mentioned that makes me want to delve more deeply into this. I just think it's in some ways very, very fascinating. So give it some time. And I think you'll find that too. Yeah, no, I would absolutely and wholeheartedly agree with you on all of that. So thank you again so much for joining us. And we hope you have a really good day. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHPodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.